Remember your leaders who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which who, those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek that is the one to come. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Amen. Thanks, Tom. Has anybody here ever watched The Office before? Any Office fans? A few of us? Well, there's one character in The Office named Andy Bernard, and Andy Bernard, uh, he makes it clear that he's gone to Cornell, and he talks about the good old days and all the things he did at Cornell and how he used to have this a cappella group and all these uh, fun times that he had. Uh, but the thing is, when he gets towards the end of his career <coughs> at Dunder Mifflin, the office, he starts to realize that he's going to miss it there. He gets his dream job working for Cornell as an admissions officer, but he realizes he's going to miss the office. And he makes a statement that I think is kind of profound. He says this, he says, the weird thing is now I'm exactly where I want to be. I've got my dream job at Cornell, and I'm still thinking about my old pals. Only now they're the ones I made here. I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. I can kind of identify with Andy because, you know, I think back on my life and the experiences that I had, and there's some aspects of my past that I miss. For example, I miss playing high school hockey. I miss being in college and kind of not having a lot of responsibilities and just having to go to class and do assignments. miss going to seminary in the area of Boston where I went to seminary and the things and places that I went to there. But the funny thing about it is when I look back on those times, I couldn't wait to graduate from high school. couldn't wait to move to the next step. When I was in college, I couldn't wait to graduate from college and get a real job. When I was in seminary, I couldn't wait to leave Boston and come back home and start into ministry. And every step of the way, I was kind of looking forward, but there are some aspects of those things that I miss, even though I wouldn't want to go back there. I think all of us kind of look for a place of rest, a place of peace in our life. We work towards this step where we you know, get to this place where we feel like we're fulfilled, where we're comfortable, where things make sense. The Bible called, uh, the Hebrews called this place shalom, a place of peace. And we work to get there, but I think the tragic part of life is we don't ever actually get there. We get close, we get tastes of that shalom, 
But as soon as things start to make sense, as soon as things start to come together, they start to unravel. On my honeymoon, Stephanie and I went to an island called St. John in the Virgin Islands. It was by far the most beautiful place I had ever been to in my life. Um, the sand, uh, the beaches were beautiful. The water was crystal clear, just like being in a swimming pool. Uh, the temperature is pretty much 80 degrees all year round, morning and night. Just a gorgeous place, and we had an awesome time. But I remember at the end of my uh, of the honeymoon, the last day, it was a little bit rough. I got kind of sad. I don't know if you ask Stephanie, she said, well, she'll, she'll say that I cried. I can't confirm or deny that. But I got kind of sad, you know, and I had experienced this beautiful place like paradise, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if I'll ever even be able to come back here. You know, it cost a lot of money to, to fly there, and um, the hotels were expensive, food, everything was expensive to go there. I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if I'll ever get back here. So I was kind of bummed out, and I'm just kind of wallowing in this sadness of having to leave And there's one thing that brought me out of that. Stephanie said to me, well, you know, we can come back here someday. You know, obviously we can't come back here every year, but maybe like on a milestone anniversary, the fifth anniversary, tenth anniversary, this can be the place that we come back. And once I realized that I could come back there, I started to leave that sadness. When we go and experience things in our life and we feel like that's the end, And then there's this kind of sadness. What would you tell a child if the day after Christmas, they're distraught that Christmas is over, Santa is gone? What would you tell them? You'd probably tell them, Christmas is coming. Christmas is over, but soon it will be Christmas once again, and Santa will come, and you'll have all the cheer of Christmas once again. See, we tend to view our lives linearly. We're born, we live, we die. We're on this kind of one-way street. And that's how life is in this world. There's some things that we experience as young people that we won't experience again as we grow older. The Bible teaches us and experience shows us that life is precious, is short. As the author of James writes, James writes that life is a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. This is how we live in our fallen world, but I don't think that this is the way that God intended for us to live. I don't think he intended for us to live live and to view life linearly. We're born, we live, we die. Rather, in the scriptures, in the book of Genesis, we see that God created patterns, rhythms, so that we would view life cyclically. Look at what it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 14. Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. God created rhythms of life. There's this repeated refrain in Genesis that there was evening and there was morning. God created the sun and the moon and the the rotation of the earth so that we would have different patterns to live by. He created this pattern of work and rest, that he worked for six days, rested on the seventh day, and put that out as a model for us. And here's the thing about how God created the world. When one day is over, 
Another day is coming. When one week is done, another week is coming. When one year is over, there's another year that's coming right behind it. God created these cyclical patterns, these rhythms for us that contribute to human flourishing. Cycles of work, rest, planting, and harvest, seasons, there's change, but there's predictability in that change. Yet after the fall, there was a change. While those cyclical patterns remained, it changed from viewing life cyclically to viewing life linearly. Look at what it says in the book of Genesis chapter 3. And to Adam, he, God, said this, Behold, you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Curses it is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth from you. You shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Suddenly, Adam has an expiration date. No longer is there these, just these cyclical patterns. Now there is an end for Adam. Think of it like this. Let's say you have to go to three places. You have to go to the grocery store, the bank, and the doctor's office. And as you're driving down the road, it's a one-way road, and they're kind of in a line, grocery store first, bank, doctor's office. You stop at the grocery store, get what you need. You stop at the bank, make a deposit. You get to the doctor's office. You realize you forgot something at the grocery store. But you can't go back. It's a one-way street. You can't go back. That's the way life is when you view it linearly, and that's how we experience life in this, on this earth, in the fallen earth. But imagine a different scenario. We don't have a lot of roundabouts. I know some cities have more roundabouts than we do. But imagine this roundabout. And on one corner of the roundabout is the grocery store. On another corner is the bank. On the other corner is the doctor's office. And you go to the grocery store, get what you need. You go to the bank, deposit. You get to the doctor's office. You realize you forgot something. And you just keep going and you get back to the grocery store. That's the way life was meant to be lived. We don't miss anything. We don't lose anything. We just keep going in this pattern. And so when we're born, we kind of, uh, that's kind of the on-ramp onto this pattern. And so we're meant to live forever in these patterns, these rhythms that God created for us. And yet that's not the life we live today. We live in linear time. There's no guarantee that we'll make it to tomorrow. There's no guarantee that the things that we experience today we'll get to experience tomorrow. You know, you think about the profound nature of that. We could, on the way home from church today, we could get into a car accident. This could be the last day that we walk. This could be the last day that we see our loved one, our spouse. Life in this world is unpredictable, and we're on this linear path, one-way path, and we can't go back. So with all that certainty, uncertainty, with all that turmoil that is happening, when we never know where we're, going to turn, where we're going to go to, how can we find peace? How can we keep from being overwhelmed with anxiety? Well, I think this passage in Hebrews gives us some answers. We see three things in this passage about how we can view time and how we can view the nature of who God is. We see first that Jesus' character is unchanging throughout all generations. 
In the passage that we're looking at today, the author of Hebrews, who we don't know uh, who it was for sure, says this, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. According to scholar Peter O'Brien, this word for outcome can refer to the sum total of one's accomplishment in life. It's the outcome of one's life. And so what the author is talking about here is most likely leaders who have passed away. And the author tells them, these people have gone away, they're no more. But consider their life. Consider the outcome of what they did. Consider the fruit of what they produced in their life. And then the author makes a profound statement. He says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today forever. See, change has come upon these followers of Jesus. Their leaders are no more. They no longer have them to encourage them and to strengthen them. But the author encourages them. The same Jesus who you serve. The same Jesus that they served. And Jesus is the constant that connects you with the past. Though they no longer had their leaders, they still had the same Jesus Christ who was the same yesterday, today, and forever. As people living in a fallen world, as people on a one-way track towards the grave, we're subject to change. If you look back on your life, you're probably not the same person that you were five years, ten years, fifteen, twenty, thirty years ago. We're all subject to change and we're not the same people that we were in the past. I'm always surprised when I see people, couples, uh, you know, I've seen this a number of times where couples that are seem to love the Lord and seem to get along well and then, you know, maybe after twenty or thirty or forty years, one or both of them just decides I don't want to be married anymore. The good news is Jesus will never do that. Jesus will never change. Verse 5 says that Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. He'll never choose not to love us. He'll never choose not to be righteous. He'll never choose or decide that we're not worth it. No matter what happens in our life, we have that constant that Jesus' character remains the same. That He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Psalm 102 says this, O my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days. You whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away. But you are the same and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. So we have that hope in the midst of uncertainty that Jesus' character never changed. He'll never choose not to love us anymore. We also have the hope that Jesus' message never changes. His message is unchanging throughout all generations. The author of Hebrews tells his readers, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. The 5th century Gaelic monk Vincent of Lorenz once said this, All novelty in faith is a sure mark of heresy. All novelty in faith is a sure mark of heresy. 
If somebody comes up with something that's brand new that nobody, no Christian has ever heard before, there's a good chance that's heresy. It's not something that's of God. There's nothing new that's under the sun. The same message that Jesus preached and Paul preached and Augustine preached and Calvin preached, Whitefield preached, is the same message that's contained in the Bible today. The message never changes. In his book, Jesus, Mean and Wild, Mark Gailey references an interview with Stephen Prothero in 1994. During that interview, Prothero said this, Christians traditionally, as they've shaped Jesus, have been worried about getting it wrong, including the Puritans. Americans today are not so worried. There isn't the sense that this is a life and death, death matter, that you don't want to mess with divinity. There's a freedom and even a playfulness that Americans have. The flexibility of our Jesus, the flexibility our Jesus exhibits is unprecedented. There's a Gumby-like quality to Jesus in the United States. Even turning Jesus into a friend among born-again Christian, that kind of chutzpah is something that was unknown even to Americans in the colonial period. Christians used to be afraid of putting the wrong attributes on God. They used to be afraid of idolatry. The ancient Hebrews were even afraid to say the name of God. But in our culture, we just kind of mix our own thoughts with popular opinion and kind of create this image of Jesus that sounds good to us. But Jesus' message never changes. His gospel never changes. The text that we're looking at today again says, For it's good to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We don't know exactly what the nature of this false teaching was, but we know that these false teachers were teaching that in some way, if you ate certain foods, then then you would be blessed spiritually by eating those foods. And the author calls these things diverse and strange teachings. There's a lot of diverse and strange teachings. If you look at Christians throughout our country, throughout the world, there's a lot of diverse and strange teachings. You know, I've had people tell me things that I look at the Bible and I've never heard such things before. You know, I've heard people tell me, hey, have you heard of this pastor down in wherever, Tupelo, and he preaches this or that and he's got this special way of seeing things? If he's got this special way of seeing things nobody else does, it's probably not of God. It's probably not something that's in Scripture. Because the message of Jesus Christ never changes. It's always the same. So Jesus' character is unchanging. Jesus' message is unchanging. We see finally that Jesus' presence is available throughout all generations. Verses 10 to 15, the text talks about sacrifices and eating the sacrificial meal, which is a reference to the most holy place in Israel, or the most uh, holy day in Israel, which was the day of atonement or Yom Kippur. And on the Day of Atonement, sacrifices would be made. The priest would make sacrifices for uh, himself, his family, as well as the whole congregation of Israel. But what distinguishes the Day of Atonement from some other days is he wasn't allowed to eat the sacrificial meal. After the sacrifice, the sacrifice had to be taken outside of the city and burned. Now, when we look at the Day of Atonement, we see that the Day of Atonement was a picture of what happened to Jesus. It's a picture, the sacrifices that were made were a picture of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for our sins. 
But the difference is that we're able to eat of the sacrifice. The ancient Jews couldn't eat of the sacrifice, but we're able to eat of the sacrifice. The ancient Jews, the sacrifice just kind of covered their sins. It atoned for their sins. But for us as believers, we can partake of Christ and be cleansed from the inside out. And Christ is available to us at all times. We're told that Jesus suffered outside of the city gates. That in essence, the city of Jerusalem rejected him. The author tells us to go outside of the city to Christ. To go and partake of Christ outside the city gates. And then he makes a profound statement. He says, here we have no lasting city. but We seek the city that is to come. We live life linearly. We never reach shalom. We never have a city. We never get to a place where everything makes sense and we're comfortable and satisfied in all that we have. We never reach that place on this earth. As soon as we get close, it starts to unravel. It's a hard reality to live in. But the truth is, there is a city that's coming. There is a city, a place that is coming where we belong. A place that will live forever and ever and ever with the one who's unchanging and unfailing. Revelations 1, 4-6 says this, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spheres who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Revelation 22, 13 to 14 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gates. There's a change that's coming. We're going to be transferred from living life linearly. We're going to be transferred from having an expiration date to living forever and ever with Christ. And the one thing that stays the same in all of that is Jesus Christ. We can have a relationship with Jesus Christ today, tomorrow, forever. Jesus' character is unchanging. His message is unchanging. His presence is available. How do we sum that up? Jesus is the only constant in life and in death. Jesus is the only constant. He's the only one that we can hold on to when the storms of change come. Remember the New City Catechism, which we started going through last year. The first question, what's our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but we belong both body and soul in life and in death to God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's our hope. That's our peace. The one who's unchanging, who's unfailing. He's our foundation. He's the one who never changes. The sport of basketball uh, was invented in 1891. It was invented by a man by the name of James Naismith. And uh, he was a physical education teacher in Massachusetts. And he started uh, the game of basketball because it was raining out and he wanted to keep his class busy. Uh, 
And the game of basketball has changed drastically over the years. When they first started, uh, he started with peach baskets. He put peach baskets up on the wall and they would throw them in. Uh, the trouble with that, there was no hole in them, so they had to go and get the, the ball out of the basket every time they threw it in there. Then it kind of transformed to making a hole in the bottom of the baskets, but it wasn't a big enough hole for the ball to fall out, so they would throw the ball in, and then they would have to get a broomstick to poke the ball out of the peach basket. And over the years, of course, it transformed and morphed to an actual uh, net and backboard that we know today. The ball changed. At first, it was a soccer ball that was used. Then it was this brown ball with laces. Then it was transformed to an orange ball so it would be more visible with no laces. The way that the game has been played has been changed over the years. Of course, when it first started, it was probably kids just kind of running around with the ball. No rules. No order. It's changed into the game that we know today. Even in the last few years, the game of basketball has been changed in how it's played and strategy for playing it. But there's one thing that stayed the same throughout all these years. And it's the surface that the basketball has been played on. The first basketball game was played on hardwood maple floor. And up to today, almost all uh, professional basketball teams play on that same surface, hardwood maple floor. The NCAA tournament, they play on hard maple floor. So all all these changes happen, all these different things occur, but there's still that one foundation. The same thing is true for us in our relationship with Christ. I'm not sure what your situation is, but I'm sure that change will come for you probably sooner rather than later. Sometimes that change is good. Sometimes the change is not so good. But any kind of change can be disconcerting. But in all those times, we have the one true foundation of Jesus Christ, who's always the same, who never fails, never changes. There's a man by the name of Lloyd Douglas. He wrote a novel, a famous novel called The Robe and some other novels. And there's a story that's told about him when he was a university student. Uh, He lived in this boarding house, and there was this uh, older retired gentleman who lived downstairs, and he was a retired music teacher. Wasn't able to go outside, uh, kind of infirmed. Douglas said that every morning he would go downstairs and he would have basically the same conversation with this old gentleman. He'd walk down the steps, he'd open up the man's door and he'd ask, well, what's the good news? The old man would pick up his tuning fork. He'd tap it on the side of his wheelchair. He'd say, that's middle C. It was middle C yesterday. It'll be middle C tomorrow. It'll be middle C a thousand years from now. He said, the tenor upstairs sings flat. The piano across the hall is out of tune. But my friend, that's middle C. This old man had discovered one thing that he could depend on, one constant reality in life, one still point in a turning world. For us, that still point is Jesus Christ. His character never changes. He'll always love us. He'll always care for us. His message never changes. And he's always available to anyone who calls upon him today and forever. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you that in the different changes that we have in our life, whether they be good, whether they be bad, that you're our one true foundation, that we can rely on you, that we can trust in you for all things. We thank you that your character is never changing, that you'll never leave us or forsake us. You'll never decide that we're not worth it. That you're always there for us. We thank you that your message never changes. We never have to wonder what your word says that you've given to it to us so clearly. And we thank you that you're always available to us. No matter what we're experiencing, no matter what difficulty befalls us, you're here for us, you're available to us. That though we don't have a city, we have an altar. That we can trust in your sacrifice and have a relationship with you today that will go on for eternity. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your grace. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.